Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. A few years ago, a friend, lovely man, with considerable knowledge of war and its effect on the mind, asked me if I thought I might be suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. He knew that I had reported from Iraq and Bosnia, and wondered whether the things I had seen and reported on might have wounded me more deeply than I knew. I thought about it for about half a second. I've been under fire, had a few very close calls. I have known good people who were killed. But I told him I was certain I don't suffer from PTSD. Yes, there were tensions in my marriage whenever I came back from Iraq. It's very difficult to relate to a fit of domestic pique at 10 p.m. when your wife discovers she's out of milk, the shops are closed, and she doesn't have anything to put in her coffee in the morning. When you've just come back from a country disintegrating and have seen what happens when military ordnance intersects with the human body, the fact that there's no milk in the house doesn't really seem worth getting upset about. And yes, I made that point at the top of my voice, and with a fair amount of cursing. But I never thought of that behavior as a manifestation of PTSD. It's normal to go through a period of adjustment after making such an extreme transition. Since being laid off from the job that sent me to war zones to report on history being forged in violence, we don't have arguments about milk for the morning. For one thing, I'm more vigilant about how much is in the house and other domestic things. If I do suffer from PTSD, it's from the shock of losing my job. I've never had full-time employment again. But even then, when my friend solicitously asked about PTSD, I was certain the answer was no. But now I'm wondering, maybe there's a form of PTSD that has less to do with being unable to make the adjustment from the stress of combat to the stress of domestic life, and more to do with what you learn, out there, at the edge. I learned a lot about human nature covering conflicts, and I wonder whether things that I've thought about since the days when I spent more time in Northern Ireland, Bosnia, and Iraq than I did in my own house are making it difficult to understand the epochal change going on in America. Where is America headed? That's one of the themes of FRDH podcast. How did America get this way? Where is it going? I have lived in London for 31 years, and now that my parents are dead, I go back to the U.S. mostly for work. The last year has been very busy, five trips in 14 months. The last one was to Washington for Donald Trump's inauguration. I stood in the unticketed enclosure by the Washington Monument. The crowd was surprisingly sparse. The atmosphere, odd. Probably a little more than a fifth of those standing around watching the ceremony on a jumbotron screen were in town for the Women's March next day. There was no interaction between them and those celebrating President Trump's victory. Everyone was exerting self-control. There was no banter, no badgering between the two groups. In the security checkpoints, no conversation. No eye contact, no accidental bumping of bodies, the sort of thing that happens in the typical crowd. People were straining to be restrained. Side by side, two very separate groups of people, citizens of the same country in name only. It made me think of the disintegration of Yugoslavia that culminated in the destruction of Bosnia. In 1991, Yugoslavia was, like the U.S., a federal entity comprised of six republics rather than 50 states. Like the U.S., it was multi-ethnic and multi-sectarian. 
Its dominant republics, Serbia and Croatia, were defined by ethnicity and different forms of Christianity, but they were mixed. They were mixed. Bosnia was the most diverse of all the constituent republics, and it had a majority Muslim population, along with its Catholic and Eastern Orthodox people. That was a legacy of its four centuries of being ruled by the Ottoman Turks. In the months before the war, Serbian and Croatian media engaged in a campaign of racist propaganda that demolished the idea of a multinational, multi-ethnic Yugoslavia. A weak journalistic establishment was unable to counter the stream of lies and misrepresentations. People from different backgrounds who had grown up together and frequently saw life the same way suddenly were unable to even speak to one another. Decades of social development were undone in six months. War broke out between Serbia and Croatia in the spring of 1991. It was fought with a savagery not seen in Europe since World War II. Civilians were massacred burnt alive in the basements of houses where they were sheltering. Television crews trailing behind the fighting broadcast images to the world. The fighting between Serbia and Croatia continued through 1991, and then the war continued by proxy in Bosnia. You will know the terror that was visited on ordinary people in Bosnia as a result. Anyway, I had dinner with a French friend the other night. He's a foreign correspondent for Le Figaro and still goes to war zones. We got to talking about the French presidential election coming up in May and the ethno-nationalist candidacy of Marine Le Pen, leader of the National Front. I asked him if he agreed with the conventional wisdom of the Paris elites that Le Pen would win the first round of the French election and then lose in the second. He shook his head no. No, she will win the presidency. I asked him if he was filtering that opinion through his experience of watching societies descend into civil war. Before he could answer, I said, I sometimes wish I hadn't seen how easy it is to unravel a society. Like Bosnia, Sarajevo. They held the Winter Olympics there in 1984. Eight years later, in 1992, I mean, nobody thought they would be bombed by their fellow Bosnians. But it happened. And that thought, framing a serious question the way I did, thinking about what might happen in America. I wonder if it's a form of PTSD. Here's another question that has been constantly cropping up in my mind over the last half decade, as America's national government has ground to a halt because of party intransigence. When one party relies on an ethno-religious base for the strength to block every move by the other party, I think about what percentage of a society wanting to fight is necessary for a civil war to start. In the years I reported from Northern Ireland and Bosnia, they overlapped for a bit, I was struck by the fact that civil war is a minority occupation at the beginning. How many people on each side are willing to fight, not metaphorically, but physically fight for their vision of what their country should be? Is there a critical mass at which point violence becomes inevitable? There's no data set on this question, of course, so it's a matter of speculation. My experience tells me it's 30%. Not quite a third of citizens reaching a level of blind rage with each other can initiate a process of civil conflict and societal breakdown. It was never more than that in Northern Ireland, probably a little more than that in Bosnia. And, of course, once civil order breaks down, you're forced into tribal identities that most people have laid aside a long time ago. 
to build a successful society in the modern cosmopolitan world required putting aside primary identification with a particular idea of religion or ethnicity. Whenever I visited Northern Ireland, I was always struck by how few people actually wanted to be in the situation they were in. But there they were, and had been for two decades. In Sarajevo, nobody I met wanted to be living under siege, with snipers poised to shoot them in the head when they crossed the street. But reason had long since taken flight from Bosnia, and they were all waiting for the fire to die down. I know, intellectually, this is not the case in America. But watching people slide past each other at the inauguration, not touching, not even glancing at their fellow citizens, made me think about the apocalyptic possibilities that exist in all societies, especially those that have not completely knit up scars from previous civil wars. That was the case in Northern Ireland and Bosnia, and I've traveled enough in the American South to know that is also the case in the U.S. Is that bleakness of vision a form of PTSD, or is it just the product of experience, having seen the things I've seen? I'd be very interested to know what you think. Thanks for listening to this FRDH podcast. Please share it with your friends, or in this case, share it among people you disagree with. You can hear more at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, including my documentary on PTSD, Suicide Watch. You can also contact me through the website if you have thoughts about America today. I'd be very interested to hear them. And you can make a donation to keep these podcasts coming.